Welcome, disciple makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, which identifies six main ministries needed to be a healthy church. The Spark Conference, a total church strengthening event that allows you to access keynotes and breakouts all year long for ongoing training in your ministry area. Access it today at thesparkconference.com. We're also setting up learning communities across Georgia to sharpen, encourage, and resource leaders personally and professionally. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org discipleship. Don't forget, you can find our previous episodes on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. Now let's join today's broadcast. Welcome everyone. What a great day to live and serve in kingdom work. Today I've got Dr. Jody Dean and Dr. Adam Hughes who have co-authored a new book. It's called Together We Lead, Integrating Church Leadership and Administration for Ministry Success. Now, they have found this sweet spot between leadership and administration, and the helps in this book are spot on for leaders wanting to take that next step in their leadership journey. So, Dr. Jody Dean is 20 years local church experience, associate professor of Christian education, senior associate regional dean of Extension Center. She's the director of the mentoring programs in Christian education at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. So he teaches in the area of administration, discipleship, risk management. He's an author, and actually uh, <clears throat> contributed to one of those books called Together We Equip, and uh, Jody's a husband. He's a dad. He's an incredible speaker and a great friend. Jody is one of those guys that I call when I have big questions or I just need someone I can go and talk ugly to. Dr. Adam Hughes is also a friend, 17 years local church ministry. He's the associate dean of church ministry in New Orleans at the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, where he teaches courses in preaching, leadership, and pastoral ministry. Dr. Hughes um, is teaching courses in uh, the preaching, leadership, pastoral ministries, but he's also, and probably I would say, Adam, is an author. He's a dad. He's a husband. He's a seminary professor. He's a mentor, co-host also of Pastor to Pastor, a weekly podcast through the ministry of NOBTS, and a fantastic conference speaker leader. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for being on our broadcast today. Thanks for having us. Great to be here, Scott. Looking forward to connecting with uh, Georgia Baptists and helping uh, talk about discipleship and leadership in any way we can that will help pastors and church leaders. Absolutely. And I love y'all's heart for ministry, what you do. And matter of fact, in the chats below, uh, we'd love, we'll, we'll try to get y'all to, to get some contact information and maybe even some links to resources that we're going to be talking about today. Now, let me uh, let me throw something out to you guys because we are obviously in a crazy time. Everybody's talking about that, so we don't have to beat that to death. Sure. But right now is the most difficult time in my lifetime to lead in a local church. And I, I feel like our leaders are in this, what I call a, a crucible of ministry leadership, where they're being pressed to the maximum limits. And many of those are bailing out and they're asking questions that they weren't prepared to, to answer or lead in a ministry they weren't prepared to lead in. And the book that you guys have co-authored gives guidance to help leaders with a lot of um, how to. 
some of those things that we look at and we're like, I'm just not really sure what to do here, how to set this up, the form, the structure. And that can be super helpful in this perpetual state of anxiety that we're dealing with. So here's my first question. Tell me, what was your motivation in writing the book that truly integrates leadership calling and philosophy with administration? And uh, Jody, let me kick that to you first, and then we'll jump in and let Adam come after. Adam and I have been on faculty for several years and uh, together, and Dr. Hughes and I teach a class together. And so we've had a lot of cups of coffee around the conversation. And uh, sorry, all that fresh seafood here in New Orleans, a lot of for, uh, a lot of fried and grilled seafood around the conversation as well. But we were talking, um, working through what does our students really need to serve the church? Mm. And then uh, what have we been experiencing as we're uh, consulting, as we're preaching and teaching and leading and the local church as well? And um, one of the challenges we keep coming back to, uh, as you referenced earlier, Scott, is just People feeling burned out or um, to the end of their rope or even thinking about leaving the ministry. You may not have used those exact words, but something along those lines. And it's like uh, it's all starts with calling. If I am called by God to this work, I can't just abandon it. It's not like just selling cars and thinking, hey, I want to go sell appliances. It, it, it's not as simple as uh, I am working in this trade and I got a better offer over here, or I can go make money over here and still provide for my family. God called me. I can't get away from it. So if calling drives everything, then what do I need to do to lead effectively? And what do I need to do to manage the workload, administer the word? So you've got this balancing act as a, as a leader as a pastor, as a minister, that I've got this role to lead effectively, but I've also got this role to manage all this work and administer it so we can actually move forward. We've, we need to not only lead well, but we got to meet budget. We got to manage facilities and I got to time manage, you know, to be able to, um, find time to have a meal with my wife and actually watch my kids at, at a sporting event or, um, be sure I'm actually prepared for when Sunday comes because believe it or not, it's, it's on a revolving cycle to where it's always all great. Today was great, but next up. And so, you know, you live with that constant turn, Scott. And so. That is so good, man, because it, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Every one of us as a leader gets to that point in ministry where we got to make a decision. Are we going to stay? And when we do it, it we're staying out of a calling, not right. it's comfortable. You know, right. I commented yesterday when I was in Petal, Mississippi, that I think the greatest addiction in the world is not drugs or alcohol or pornography. I think it's comfort. Ooh. We're addicted to comfort. Mm -hmm. and, and this is not a comfortable time. My goodness, that's just good. That's like a tall glass of milk and a dozen chocolate chip cookies kind of good. So, Adam, tell me about what, what was your motivation when you were uh, coming in on this project and working uh, with Jody to create the book? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Scott, and I'm, I'm glad we started off this way, and, and I'm going to say some things, and when I say these things, it's not really a shot at people that have written other books or the other literature that's out there. It's just kind of what we saw, and, and Jody's exactly right. Uh, first of all, let me kind of begin where he ended with the concept of calling. One of the things, if you look out there at these leadership books and even these administration books, which by the way, most of them are two separate disciplines and the books are written that way. They're written separately. Right. They're not integrated. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But most of them don't really begin with this biblical theological foundation of calling. 
that mm -hmm. then works itself out for these leadership principles and these systems of administration. And one of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted to begin with this concept of calling because everything flows from there. And we just, we just hadn't seen that done. I'm going to use the word intentionally and intentionally built on in a lot of the literature. So when uh, the listeners or the viewers see the book, when it releases, what they're going to notice is in some ways, we really don't have an introduction. Our introduction is chapter one, which is the chapter on calling. That's and it's right. intentionally designed that way for everything Jody just said. But beyond that, let me back up just a little bit here. And I'll, I'll kind of try to make this quick because I know we need to move on. But Jody's exactly right. It really originated. He and I had taught this class, church leadership and administration, that integration together for about three or four years. And every time we taught it, we would have kind of a pre-semester and a post-semester review on what worked well. And it seemed like we were constantly revising our content, bringing new content in. And uh, we were like, man, you know, this really isn't found in the literature. It's not found in the literature this way. And really the books we were using, two really good books, but they were just that. They were two completely separate books. And we said, you know what? Not only are we revising our content, but we don't see this integration. And so what if we tried to write a book that truly integrates? It's not just there's part one on leadership and part two on, on administration, but it integrates because most people's ministry, whether they're a senior pastor, a second chair leader, or even they're a leader of a parachurch ministry, they're regularly, I mean like five to seven days a week, having to engage both of those things. Yes. And so we tried to start a project from beginning to end that thought about taking leadership calling and philosophy into very practical ministries, but at every turn, bringing in the systems and the management that they would need to be able to actually lead out and actually perform in such a way to where their leadership wouldn't get ship, shipwrecked. And we thought that would be very helpful for this class, but the more we thought about that, the more we kind of, if I can say, fleshed out these ideas, we, we realized, you know what, this is gonna be really beneficial beyond the classroom, but to those in the local church and in, and in uh, parachurch ministries as well. So why don't we go ahead and broaden our thought on this and make it available to them as well. But that was really the motivation. It started with the class, looking and seeing what was out there. And by the way, the books we were using were 15, 20 years old anyway. Right. And just needing to update that because a lot's changed in the last couple of years, but certainly in the last two decades. Yeah. And then figuring out how to get a genuine integration. And I don't know if we've done it or not, but that's certainly what we've attempted to do. And that was our motivation. Well, I've read the manuscript and it is good. And let me double click on something that you said, because 90% of the people who are going to listen or watch this broadcast uh, are not going to be in your seminary class. Um, and we know you're going to use it for classes that will do reports and they're going to read it and that sort of thing. But is it written in such a way that Billy at the Lube Shop, who's part time at Dirt Road Baptist Church, can read it and have some practical nuggets that he can sink his teeth into? I absolutely believe I'll say this and then and then Jody, you certainly please add add in whatever your perspective is on this. I think we've absolutely written it that way. As a matter of fact, we intentionally built in some components that would engage those that yes. were living that life and doing that ministry. Now, a lot of our chapters have uh, have reflection questions to think back over what they've read. Several of our chapters have some very practical case studies to help take all the concepts that we've dealt with in the chapter and actually immediately put it into place. So I think it's very user-friendly and accessible, but I also think it's built in such a way where they can immediately begin to think about practical application as well. That's, that's my thought, and that was our intent in writing it. Super. 
because even even though we're professors, we're thinking about where our students are going to be beyond the classroom, and that's going to be the local church. That's going to be on the mission field. And so we wrote the book in such a way that everybody could have discussions. We didn't want it to just be a book you could read solo, which you could do and really glean a lot from it and to do the self-reflection questions, but it's great to read it with a team. Maybe it's your chairman and deacons. Maybe it's uh, uh, even your uh, custodian uh, or your uh, small group leaders that people would also understand where you're coming from as the minister. So many people I'm talking to uh, during the pandemic, especially, they have no idea the pressure the minister and the pastors going through week in and week out. You know, they've done funeral after funeral. They've made decision after decision. They're on. I told my church yesterday that if we keep having to make alternative plans, we're going to have to start using the Greek alphabet because we're going to have it. We are going to have exhausted uh, the our our normal operating A through Z. Right? Uh, we're we're going to be like the Hurricane Center and have to go to the Greek alphabet because we're out of storm names. And uh, and so. Um, People still operating under COVID, but I mean, we're well beyond uh, COVID as far as an initial reality. So the book is is written in such a way that uh, a couple of guys could sharpen one another, uh, an intergenerational team could sharpen one another, and you could hear from their years of experience in the local church versus your five years of experience in the local church and see how could you sharpen one another? What are those different perspectives and, um, and make sense of all of that? Because sometimes even our senior adults in the church, as great and as faithful as they have been, there's a lot to the family and workflow today that is different than what they experienced. And so we see some of that going, well, we don't understand the pastor's schedule. We don't understand the pastor's office hours or the rhythm to his workflow. And so we hope it also brings understanding uh, beyond just the pastor's seat, the associate pastor's seat, the youth, children, all the different perspectives in the church, that it could also help bring a sense to the structure and the organization beyond just those that are um, primary in leadership too. Yeah. And Jody, Adam, I see this in, in three different ways, and then I'm going to turn the page on this question. Sure is one is obviously they can the, the leaders can read the book and they can digest the information for themselves if they have questions they can email you and we'll put some links down there in the, the show notes but um, another way that i see people can do this if i really think it will be important for leaders in the church to 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 read it and digest portions with other leaders in the church and that could be lay leaders that could be if you're blessed to have a paid staff i think that's a great way that they can read it do sections, talk about it in person, Zoom or whatever. But in Georgia here, we've got learning communities set up. We have 40, a little over 40 now learning communities with 250 leaders meeting in Georgia every month or every other month. And that's why they meet. They'll meet together and they'll talk about these issues. So this is a resource that a learning community to get, read, digest, talk through that and even have, hey, when we come back next next month, let's talk about this. And why don't we all bring back what we're doing in this particular area? Really good stuff. Now, Adam, let me let me shift over here, go to a second question, because I was Lee, listening to a John Maxwell podcast he was on with another guy and he was uh, he threw out that that most famous quote that we've all heard that says everything rises and falls on leadership absolutely agree with that <clears throat> but this is a, a piece of the book that I think is huge um, how important is leadership in the ministry settings for this this holistic spiritual formation idea that we're talking about 
Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I, I do think that's a major component, at least that underlies the book. So the first thing I would say is whether we realize it or not, what we say, what we say from the pulpit or our platform, the things that we emphasize, that which our people hear us say and communicate, that which they see us give our time to, if I can say it another way, that which they see us lead in, whether we explicitly say so or not, those are the things that they're going to think we believe is important. Mm, so on. we're leading in that way, whether we're intentionally, and I'll come back to that in a moment, we are leading in that way. And so there's an old, I, I, I majored in college in communication and there's an old communication axiom that says you cannot not communicate. Now that's a double negative. We're not supposed to use it, but I think it, it communicates the, the point. I, I think this, the same is true with leader. A leader cannot not lead. Yes. If you are a leader, you're going to lead. And so the question becomes, there's going to be, there's going to be a combination. There's different combinations of the way you lead, right, Scott? Like, so you can either lead unintentionally. And a lot of times when you lead unintentionally, it's bad and the results aren't where you want to go because you've not thought through it. It's not been intentional. Or you can be very intentional, strategic, and have a plan with your leadership, and it has a much better chance of a success rate. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we've done in this book is to hopefully uh, key on those areas that will help you be intentional and plan with your leadership so that you can have a higher success rate. Now, let me talk about the second part of your question how important is that for what we would say in ministry or in the church for holistic spiritual formation? I think both on an individual Christian level, but also on a corporate church level, it is radically important. Um, we've said stuff before, like your people will never be more evangelistic than you are as the pastor or leader or whatever. And I think that's true. But I also think it's true. Are your people going to grow beyond where you are spiritually and what you think is important spiritually beyond what the leader does? And I also think it's true that they won't they won't do that. There's a, a, a very important case study in God's word that comes to mind when I think about this. And believe it or not, it's the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 11, about verses 19 through 26. And I, I won't spend time going through all of that, but most of our listeners will remember the story. It's not the church in Jerusalem. It's the church in Antioch where this amazing discipleship movement begins to take place. Barnabas comes down, sees it. It's happening amongst the Jews and the Greeks. He stays there, realizes he needs some help, goes and finds Saul, brings him back. And for an entire year, they meet together, they do ministry together, they preach, they, they disciple the church. And verse 26, verse 25 and 26 tells us that uh, it, was, it was there in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Mm -hmm. And that would be significant enough, right? Here, here's this guy, this leader, intentionally leading with a plan towards discipleship. And what does it lead to? Holistic spiritual formation amongst these individuals. But fast forward two chapters. Here's what I think is so fantastic. We often don't connect the dots of what happens in chapter 11 to chapter 13. But think about this for just a moment. When the first missionary enterprise that's recorded for us in Acts on a large scale is about to happen, it's again, not back to the church in, in Jerusalem where it happens. We pick back up in chapter 13, verse one, and it's that church in Antioch again. And uh, now you don't just have Barnabas and Saul mentioned as leaders. You have a list of other leaders that are mentioned there that are leading with them, that are praying together and they're fasting. And the implication of the context is these leaders in this church weren't brought in from the outside. They were, they were raised up from the inside. Spiritual yeah. formation happened. But then what happens to the church as a whole? 
they catch through all of these leaders, leadership functioning right within these systems, the mission of God. Mm. And out of that, they anoint, lay hands on and commission Paul and Barnabas to go on the first missionary journey. It's not to preach a sermon to you, but I am a preacher. But all yeah. that to say, I think it's vitally important. And there's no way it won't have an effect, either positive intentionally or negative unintentionally on the church's holistic spiritual formation. That's great. And Jody, I want to I want to pitch the same question to you. But Adam was dealing with leadership. And let's just be honest, leadership books, leadership talk, uh, topics, they're what I call sexy. That's, people want to absorb that. They want to read that. We want to talk about leadership. But when we talk about administration, you and I know from 30 years of local church ministry that I, I know that if I don't do administration well, then ministry doesn't happen. Then my preaching doesn't go well. So the administration part of this has to, to go well, and we've got to spend some time. So how important is that for the holistic spiritual formation side? Thanks, Scott. It, I think it's important because if we're not careful, we focus so much on uh, being sure we're the right leader that we forget to lead where we're planted in the ministry setting that God has placed us. And so it's important for us to think about um, like managing our workflow. And, and what I mean by that uh, is it, you've got only so many blocks of time in a day, morning, afternoon, evening, night, you've got four blocks, you've got seven days in the week. And so you're gonna need some blocks with your family. You're gonna need a block or two for rest. If you're like me, you need a little nap here or there. Um, you're gonna need some blocks, but there's some blocks that are just determined that are gonna be ministry. And so what are you gonna to do to make those the most effective they can be? And so if you've got to do hospital visits and you've got to manage uh, the ministries that are happening in the church and every church, no matter what size they are, has got a few ministries going on. They've got some type of group, Sunday school, small group ministry. They've got worship service. They're going to have some other ministries for age-graded ministry, as well as adults to move through some type of discipleship system. So there alone, you're at three different ministries, and we've not talked about deacon ministry, bereavement ministry, other types of ministry that you could have, men, women ministry, uh, uh, move all. So even in the smaller church setting, uh, sometimes we think, oh, that's just for the large church. No, that's for any size church. Managing the work is going to be key. And so as you look at that, what type structure do you have in place then to effectively lead? And um, I'm finding more and more people do not even know the structure of the church. It's this gentleman over here. He's got 50 years of intellectual knowledge of the church because he's been a part of it. So in his mind, he has it perceived one way but he doesn't even line up with the structure of the church, how it's documented yeah. um, because it's morphed over time in his mind to how he thinks it should be. Yeah. That's or what, or what he's been conditioned to think about church. And then you've got younger people coming in and go, why do we even need a structure? And then uh, you've got people with years of experience in life that are like, well, my business has this type of structure and I think it's effective. And so what's happened a lot of times in administration is as great as our lay people have been, our, our, our pastor comes from a God-given vision for leadership, but we've not given the same work toward administration, even though it's one of the gifts listed uh, in the New Testament. 
And so because we're not giving as much attention, we've got whatever worked at the bank that got brought to the church because that president of the bank was on our finance team, or this CPA was a deacon in our church, or this person owned a small business that had been successful and a pillar of the community and uh, had a lot of good community service. So our administrative systems, Scott, then what they did is they just became, oh, we'll do it the world's way. We'll do it whatever was effective in business. And we'll use those same standards now to judge our ministry leaders, to judge our pastor. So if uh, you're not at the office on time at 8 a.m., you're just not effective. They don't realize that you might have been at 5 a.m. at the hospital praying with somebody before surgery. So then you go home and eat breakfast and then go to the office at nine. You, You know, it's those type of rhythms to where not everything that worked at the medical clinic or at the bank or uh, at the farm supply, whatever it may be in your town, doesn't, uh, doesn't always carry over to how we administer the work of the church. Yeah. And so we're trying to help you make sense of what that might look like from a Christian perspective, going back to exactly what Adam said, uh, trying to lay that biblical foundation to where there are some models here and some rhythms that we find in, in the Bible that help us lead well while administering the work. That's it. And Jody, you alluded to something that I want to emphasize that no matter where you are in your leadership journey, if you're at the small church, the medium church, or maybe you're at the largest church in the world, there is still administration that has to happen. You can't hire somebody to do everything for you. I love Michael Catt, um, retired pastor now at Sherwood Church, had a quote that said, um, God doesn't expect you to just lean on a shovel and then pray for a hole. The point being that, that we have work. Yeah, there's work to do no matter where you are and what capacity in this administration piece that you wrote on is great. Now let's hit a let's let's land the plane here. Got one final question for you. And we'll well, it's kind of a, a lightning round, give you 90 seconds each to deal with this. But you deal with ministry conflict in the book. Mm-hmm. And oh my goodness, is that timely? Um, because listen, we're we're seeing that a lot of our churches were grace-filled in those you know, first 15 months of the pandemic, and, and now we're at this point, and it's like people are saying, hey, let's let chaos reign. Let's go after the pastor. Let's start throwing bullets during this and make his life even more uncomfortable and difficult. And um, I remember in Houghton, we had a moment when we had to call the police because one of our most trusted leaders, maybe the most trusted leader, was caught videoing some of our girls with a secret camera in a bathroom at a retreat. And listen, we weren't prepared for that. Sure. We weren't prepared how to handle that, what to do, where to go from that. So let me just throw a, throw a question. We'll start, Adam, with you. What are, what are some keys to leading through conflict in these uncharted territories that you may mention to our leaders that are listening, engaging today? Yeah, like you said, Scott, I'll try to be very, very quick here. So one of the things I would say, I think you're exactly right. It's it's timely because we're in the first part. There was this there was this grace and understanding in the church because of COVID, but now we're 18 months to two years in, and it's kind of like we're we're past that now, and we're hearing all these stories. So let me just mention two or three things as far as principles go, and then I'll quickly, quickly, quickly dig in on a couple that I think are really, really important. 
I think number one, there needs to be an understanding that you actually have to define the problem. A lot of times we don't actually even know what the problem is that we're dealing with because these emotions go high. I'm actually dealing more with my emotions or more that I'm wanting to win than I actually know what the actual conflict that we need to resolve is. So that's one thing I would say is we, we as leaders, we just have to help the church really, really, really understand what are the parameters of the problem and we have agreement there. The other thing I would say is at some point, whether it's from day one or, or, or day 100, they're gonna need to hear, your people are gonna need to hear, need to hear from a voice other than the primary leader, there's going to need to be some kind of coalition, but the, the people that they need to hear from that are involved in that, they need to be the right people. And, mm -hmm. and the right people for this problem might not be the right people from the problem that you had to solve before. And so you have to have some wisdom in knowing who that is. And then two things that I just really, really wanted, there's so many more things I could say, but those are some things I would say. Uh, the other thing I would say is uh, we, we have to get to the point where we can engage in what I call uh, collaborative conflict resolution or collaborative problem solving. I don't think this idea is original with me, but I also don't think we do it well. So here's what happens, and this happens between most human conflicts, whether it's interpersonal in the home or more corporate in the church, we begin to form sides and we think the goal is to win. Mm. The goal is not to win. And a matter of fact, the other side or the other person's not your enemy. What you're trying to do is you're trying to fix the problem. And you've got to get to the point where both both sides are understanding we have a common goal, and that's to reach a solution to the problem. Now, that's hard to do, really hard to do when the emotions are running high. So as the leader, you've got to be wise enough sometimes to say, we're going to stop right now. We're going to pray. I'm not going to even continue to have this conversation. We're going to set a time and we're going to come back when the emotions have died down so that we can work together and we can understand we're a team working to, we're going to lay the problem on the table as an artifact. That's how I talk about it. And we're going to work together on the artifact, not against each other. And then the final thing I would say, because I know I'm out of time and I'll kick it to Jody, is the other thing that we have to do is we can't just have the meeting, come up with a solution, wring our hands and say we're done. There's got to be a circling back around at some time for ongoing evaluation. And we've got to ask the question. And we can't be afraid to ask the question. Have we actually resolved the problem now? Have we actually resolved it? Or do we still need to make some adjustments, go back to the drawing board, implement something else, and then go back to work on it? So those would be my thoughts as we think about any conflict, but certainly as it relates to COVID. Fantastic, Adam. Jody? I think it's also important for us following up with, as Adam said, the last chapter of the book goes with risk management, you know, just exploring the risk in the local church following conflict. And I think in both of those, one word that is that is usually far from our vocabulary is consistency, mm. because we're living in the reality of the urgent. And so with COVID especially, and so we make one decision six months ago because we're going to cancel this event because there's a surge. We're going to cancel this event because it could be a spreader event. But now we lost so much momentum in the church. We're like, I'm sick of canceling. I'm not going to cancel anymore. And you got deacons that went, hold up, I backed you. What happened to the same policy? And so consistent leadership is going to be the key here. If you've not been consistent in how you make decisions up until this point, your people are going to be frustrated. Because uh, just like um, some of our government leaders have not been consistent, or maybe you don't even think the CDC has been consistent, to not be consistent in how you've made decisions or not bringing people along to let them know how you're making those decisions. So I would start with, in this case, Scott, 
are you consulting local Christian medical providers and how you approach decision making uh, uh, for best practices? It's not going to be ideal, but for best practices. The other aspect that I would encourage pastors, ministers, uh, volunteers, anyone to consider in this is we were not designed to go two years navigating the unknown. So it's not always going to make sense. And if it hasn't made sense in your kid's school and it's not made sense at your place of employment, then why would you expect it to make sense also at church? Um, uh, we see conflict throughout the New Testament where things didn't make sense to different groups of people. So mm -hmm. don't make this political. Make this about, I want to love my neighbor. And yeah. so what does it mean to really love your neighbor? And so I have found too in the local church to where, where people thought this didn't matter to them in the beginning, they now had a family member that's been sick and now it matters. So they're wearing a mask without us telling them they might want to. Um, we have people that are now choosing to socially distance because they want to be there because they're designed for community by their creator, holy God, but they've missed it. And so you have multiple emotions coming as well as you have people that are like, I did all that. I don't want to have to go back and do it again yeah. uh, because they're still dealing with the mental and physical and emotional weight of that. I had COVID um, last November, Scott, darkest days in my life, sickest I've ever been in my life. And today coming up the stairs to my office, uh, I, I just, my heart rate was racing and I just didn't have breath by the top of the stairs wearing a mask. I get it's frustrating. Yeah. But I can't forget that when I walk in the door of the church, even though my heart rates up and I'm out of breath wearing a mask, that I don't love my brother, Scott. Mm, come I on. Still, I still have the same love for Scott. Mm. And if I'm over here and Adam's my neighbor and I hadn't talked to Adam as a human being and even shared Christ with him for 18 months in a pandemic to let him know Jesus loves him, then why should I expect church people to come together and be the body of Christ? That's good. That's and good. So, I think, you know, we said earlier in this episode that, hey, it rises and falls on leadership. So our calm Demeter, am I going to love people as Christ loved me? Am I going to show them that grace by wearing a mask? Am I show them that grace by moving over in my seat a little bit? Am I going to give my pastor a little grace and going, you know what? He's done more funerals than he's probably done in a year. He's probably had to mask up, glove up, and even sometimes quarantine from his own family by ministering to the people. So, you know what? I'm going to give him some grace. I'm going to give him some grace. And if you think this is a time to pile on everything you didn't like because you started listening online to a ton of preachers, and so now you're going to start judging his ability based on what you're seeing other people do, well, that's not a biblical model. It's within the local body. It's not external. And so within the local body, is there anything that doesn't line up with the biblical model of a leader? And I think you're going to find that, you know what, you got to give leaders a little grace. Paul didn't get it right all the time. Timothy did not get it right all the time. John did not get it right all the time. And so as you keep going down the list, did Peter get it right all the time? No. But were they willing to keep showing up? Yeah. Were they willing to admit, I may not have all the answers? And were they willing to say, Lord, we need you to show us the way? And Man, so I, I, will think that, I think a little humility might go a little way for the leader. Yeah, and I will say this. I think you guys got it right with this book. So tell us about when it's coming out. 
So we're releasing a soft launch end of August, and it's going to be available in uh, September. New Hope Publishers is going to be uh, the ones putting it forward, and we're thankful to work with them in Iron Stream Media out of Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, great partners in the ministry. Love their work and uh, great people. And so we're just humbled that we get to even lean in a little bit with a resource that could help you um, navigate an issue, uh, uh, further your leadership, or actually manage the work at a higher level. Uh, and hopefully it'll help some people uh, reduce their conflict, um, spend more time with the things they love and, uh, and the calling they have, and just increase their biblical foundation for those areas. Well, we'll try to make sure we put links to how folks can find the book. Also to y'all's contact if they want follow-up information, because you guys are fantastic speakers and conference leaders, if folks are interested in that. So thanks so much, uh, Dr. Jody Dean, Dr. Adam Hughes, for being with us, providing a great resource. And listen, friends, of those of you who are watching, I read an article this week about the Mona Lisa when it was stolen several years ago from the Louvre Museum, and it was missing for two years. And the article mentioned that more people came to see where the Mona Lisa used to be during that two-year period than they did the 12 years prior that it actually hung in the Louvre. Friends, listen to me. Let's set priorities and spend time on, on leadership and on administration, doing things that we know we need to do. Let's do it now while we can. That's not, let's not wait until there's a conflict, until there's more stress and more anxiety to start dealing with this. You can be ahead of the game. Producer Ray Sullivan, my Southeast uh, Discipleship Consultant, Georgia Baptist Mission Board, thank you for producing this for us as well. And friends, we hope and we pray for you every day as we do. That's why we exist. And uh, we want you to take every opportunity to grow as a leader and let's go make world impacting disciple makers. Amen. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org slash discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple makers.